Greetings, everyone. I want to welcome all of us at Center Street Church, those of us here at Center Campus, as well as those joining us from our campus in Bearspaw, Bridgeland, Airdrie, and South Calgary. I also want to welcome our online viewers as well. In our sermon series from the book of Exodus, we are in the latter half of the book. We come now to an important chapter that serves as a hinge that takes us from one section of Exodus to another. Now, the first half of Exodus has been an action-packed narrative. We've seen tense confrontations, dramatic plagues, a great rescue operation, parting of the Red Sea. Then we looked at the wilderness journey of the Israelites as they journeyed from Egypt to the land of promise and how they learned about God's character through the trials and challenges of life. We come now to Exodus chapter 18, and it serves as a link to the second half of the book that involves the giving of the law. And here at the center of the book of Exodus is a glimpse into the missionary heart of God, His plan for the nations. This is the crux of Exodus. God wants to be known. He wants to reveal His glory to the nations. This offers us hope, no matter how bleak our times may be. For God's got a plan. He is driving the world events to a climax. Now, humanly speaking, when you look at the world around you, it may seem hopeless, and you may wonder what on earth is going on. Every day we see chaos abounding. Shootings, killings, disease, wars, earthquakes, accidents, all kinds of disturbances. You can't help but ask, in the midst of all this chaos, is there a larger narrative? Is there a bigger plan? Is somebody in charge or things just spiraling out of control? Well, these are realistic questions we all wrestle with. But as you open the Bible, you see the Bible is crystal clear. In the midst of the seeming chaos, God is in charge and he is accomplishing his purpose of revealing himself to the nations. Everything is headed in one direction. The worship of God by all the people groups he made. This is the culmination of all things. This is God's unchanging purpose, the backbone of biblical revelation. God is making himself known to the nations, to the various ethnic groups, that they can come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. This is where history is headed. This vision cannot fail. It cannot be thwarted. Now, every time you look at the world events and you feel disillusioned, you need to pause and remind yourself of this great truth. God's purposes cannot fail. God's cause will triumph. That's the message we find in Exodus chapter 18. The text we're going to look at this morning is from Exodus 18 verses 1 to 12. If you're physically able, I'll ask you to stand as we honor the reading of God's word. Exodus chapter 18, verses 1 to 12. Now Jethro, the priest of Midian and father-in-law of Moses, 
heard of everything God had done for Moses and for his people Israel and how the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. After Moses had sent away his wife Zipporah, his father-in-law Jethro received her and her two sons. One son was named Jershom, for Moses said, I have become a foreigner in a foreign land. And the other was named Eliezer, for he said, my father's God was my helper. He saved me from the sword of Pharaoh. Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, together with Moses' sons and wife, came to him in the wilderness where he was camped near the mountain of God. Jethro had sent word to him, I, your father-in-law Jethro, am coming to you with your wife and her two sons. So Moses went out to meet his father-in-law and bowed down and kissed him. They greeted each other and then went into the tent. Moses told his father-in-law about everything the Lord had done to Pharaoh and the Egyptians for Israel's sake and about all the hardships they had met along the way and how the Lord had saved them. Jethro was delighted to hear about all the good things the Lord had done for Israel in rescuing them from the hand of the Egyptians. He said, Praise be to the Lord who rescued you from the hand of the Egyptians and of Pharaoh and who rescued the people from the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all other gods, for he did this to those who had treated Israel arrogantly. Then Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering and other sacrifices to God. And Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat a meal with Moses' father-in-law in the presence of God. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your inspired word. We recognize both the Old and the New Testament are inspired by you. They've been given to us for our instruction so we can learn from the teachings of the Scripture. So we ask now, Lord, that you will help us to understand the portion of Scripture that we read, that we will be encouraged in knowing your plan for the nations, that our hearts will be filled with the assurance that you are at work in drawing all people to yourself. So speak to us now in the power of your Spirit, we ask this in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. You may be seated. My wife and I come from two different parts of India. So ours is a cross-cultural marriage, which makes life interesting. Uh, we have nothing in common between our cultures. The language is different, the food is different, our upbringing was very different, and because of the differences, I can't even communicate with my in-laws. Some people may see that as a blessing. <laughs> you know, actually, when I mentioned that to some guys here in Canada that I can't communicate with my in-laws because they don't speak English, they envy me. <laughs> Such insensitive guys. Moses also had a cross-cultural marriage, but he could still communicate with his in-laws. And what we see in the text that we just read is a great family reunion. We don't know when Moses' wife and their two sons went back to Midian. 
At some point, Moses must have sent his wife back because of the dangers involved in the rescue operation in Egypt. A confrontations with Pharaoh jeopardized the safety of his family, and Moses decided to send them back to their home so they can dwell in safety. Now all of that is over. Now Pharaoh's rule has been overthrown. So they all meet once again as a family. I want to comment here on the names of Moses' sons, because that is a short summary of the Exodus narrative so far. Our text says in Exodus 18, verses 2 to 4, after Moses had sent away his wife, Zipporah, his father-in-law Jethro received her and her two sons. One son was named Jershom, for Moses said, I have become a foreigner in a foreign land. And the other was named Eliezer, for he said, my father's God was my helper, He saved me from the sword of Pharaoh. The first boy Moses' wife, Zipporah, gave birth to was Jershom. And this is during the time when Moses lived in Midian, tending his father-in-law's flock. And Jershom means foreigner in a foreign land. And that was an apt description of Moses' situation at the time, living as a fugitive in Midian. But it also perfectly described the situation of God's people who were foreigners in Egypt. They were under a great deal of oppression. And now for the first time, we get introduced to the other son of Moses. His name is Eliezer, meaning the Lord is my helper. With God's help and deliverance, the foreigners who were oppressed were now set free from the iron hand of Pharaoh. God promises to give these people their own land so they can live in freedom. And because of the Lord's help and intervention, the people were set free. Their status changed from slaves and foreigners to people who will have a land of their own. So that's Exodus so far, what we've covered. And those two names describe, gives us a summary of what we've seen. Now, Who was Moses' father-in-law? He was a Gentile. Back in Exodus 2.16, it says, Now a priest of Midian had seven daughters, and they came to draw water and fill the troughs to water their father's flock. So that's our first introduction to Jethro. Jethro was the priest of Midian. He's a non-Israelite, Gentile, religious leader. The Midianites are presented as hostile to the Israelites in the scripture in several places. For instance, in the book of Judges, during the time of Gideon, it says Israel was ruled by the Midianites for seven years and they oppressed them. But what we see here in the text in Exodus is the incredible conversion of a pagan Midianite priest who comes to faith in Yahweh, the God of Israel. Verse 8 of our text says, Moses told his father-in-law about everything the Lord had done to Pharaoh and the Egyptians for Israel's sake and about all the hardships they had met along the way and how the Lord had saved them. Moses merely shares all that the Lord has done for him and his people. He recounts the 
good news of God's saving acts on behalf of his people. And this is not about Moses or the important role that he played. This is all about the Lord who has been there, Eliezer, the helper of his people. The spotlight is not on Moses. It is all on the Lord and his delivering power. Moses merely testifies to the events of the Exodus, what had happened so far. And that has a profound impact on Jethro, the Midianite priest. And here's a a great principle in witnessing. Our testimony is a powerful tool in leading people to Jesus. Moses simply shared the testimony of how God had delivered them. And that in turn had a deep impact on Jethro. See, that is the power of testimony. We today who belong to the new covenant, we have experienced a greater deliverance through Jesus Christ. And the Christian testimony centers on how God has set us free from the power of sin and death. And one of the effective ways we can share the gospel with those who are around us is by sharing our testimonies, what Jesus has personally done for each one of us. For when we share our testimonies, we're not debating, we're not being pushy, it doesn't sound like a religious propaganda, but it is authentic. It is the true story of what Jesus has done for us. And when we share that, it grabs the attention of those who are around us. And our testimonies turn into our most powerful witnessing tool. Now, there are some significant words here in the text in Exodus 18 that will help us to understand God's plan for the nations. Back in Exodus chapter 9, verse 16, God says this to Pharaoh, but I have raised you up for this very purpose that I might show you my power and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. The heart of the book of Exodus is God's desire to make himself known, to reveal his identity. This story is not just about Israel, but through this story, the whole earth will hear about the name of the Lord. You know something interesting? When God says to Pharaoh here in Exodus 9 that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth, the word for proclaimed is the same word used in our text here in Exodus 18, translated as Moses told his father-in-law. So in Exodus 9, that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. It's the same word used in Exodus 18. Moses told or he proclaimed to his father-in-law the great and mighty deeds of God. So Jethro hears about the great name of the Lord. And this is his response to what he hears. Verses 9 to 11. Jethro was Delighted to hear about all the good things the Lord had done for Israel in rescuing them from the hand of the Egyptians. He said, praise be to the Lord who rescued you from the hand of the Egyptians and of Pharaoh and who rescued the people from the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all other gods for he did this to those who had treated Israel arrogantly. Now this is a Beautiful confession of faith. 
Unlike Pharaoh who was rebellious, unlike the Amalekites who attacked the Israelites in the previous chapter, Jethro, the Midianite priest, responds rightly to the message of the book of Exodus. He says, praise be to the Lord. Now I know that the Lord, Yahweh, the God of Israel, is greater than all other gods. I know is a confession of faith in the book of Exodus. God wanted people to know who he is. And all through Exodus, you will see that phrase repeated. It's scattered throughout the book, that phrase that you may know. For instance, in Exodus 6, verse 7, it says, I'll take you as my own people and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. God wanted the Israelites to know him. In Exodus 7, 5, it says, And the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring the Israelites out of it. God wanted the Egyptians to come to know him. In Exodus 8, verse 10, it says, Tomorrow, Pharaoh said, and Moses replied, It will be as you say, so that you may know there is no one like the Lord our God. God wanted even Pharaoh to come to know him. And now we see in Exodus 18, Jethro, a Midianite foreign priest, comes to know God personally. Jethro comes to the realization that the God of Israel is the one true God. He is superior to all other gods of his time. That is a confession of faith. What Jethro says here in our text in Exodus 18 is the confession of the psalmist. The psalmist says something very similar in Psalm 96 verses 1 to 5. Listen to these words. Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord. Praise his name. Proclaim his salvation day after day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous deeds among all peoples. For great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the nations are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. The psalmist is issuing this call to the nations of his time to come and worship the living God. See, the call to the nations to join together in worship is not just a, a feature that we see in the New Testament. This is very much integral to the Old Testament. The nations were worshiping false gods, idols. The word for idols in Hebrew literally means nothing or worthless. This is not mocking or denigrating other gods, but it is merely saying they don't even exist. There is only one God who deserves the praise and worship of all the nations. So when his salvation is being proclaimed, when the nations hear the good tidings of who this great God is, they come to the worship of the living God. And that's what we see happening here in Exodus 18. Jethro, the Midianite priest, is a representative of the nations that will come to place their faith in Yahweh, the God of Israel. And what we see unfolding in the text is simply fascinating. 
And look at verses 11 and 12. Jethro's confession. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all other gods, for he did this to those who had treated Israel arrogantly. Then Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering and other sacrifices to God, and Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat a meal with Moses' father-in-law in the presence of God. Now I want you to notice this. Not only is Jethro confessing his faith in the God of Israel, but he now brings offerings and sacrifices to the God of Israel, and they all eat a meal together in the presence of God. This is the first time a sacrifice is being mentioned in the wilderness. And this sacrifice brings Gentiles and Jews together, and they eat a meal in the presence of God. You see the significance here? A sacrifice that brings Jews and Gentiles together and they eat and fellowship with one another in God's presence. And that sacrifice offered in the wilderness is a mere pointer to the ultimate sacrifice of Jesus that will bring all the nations together as one family under God. That is exactly what we see in the book of Revelation. In Revelation chapter 5, we see the culmination of this grand vision. And they sang a new song saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood, you purchase for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. This is the culmination of all things. The Exodus account is a pointer to the greater Exodus, the sacrifice of Jesus Christ that ultimately fulfills God's plan for the nations for every single ethnic and language group. This is the culmination of history. This is God's irrevocable plan purchased by the blood of Jesus. The nations come to the worship of the living God. Because you and I know God's overarching plan, we know how it's all going to pan out. We know in the midst of the seeming chaos how everything is going to unfold. And that gives us a great reassurance, no matter how things may look on the outside. Slowly but surely, everything is moving towards this vision of heaven populated by people from all nations washed in the blood of Jesus Christ. Jethro's confession Israel's God is greater than all other gods. And offering a sacrifice is a shadow of what is going to come. We see the greater fulfillment of this truth in the book of Revelation as the nations gather in the presence of God in worship and adoration. Now what I've done so far is given you a, a theoretical overview of God's unfailing mission and his plan that incorporates all the nations, all the people groups and ethnicities of the world. 
Now it's time to take this truth and apply this to our lives. So what's the big deal? How does this incredible truth affect the way we live our lives today? That's a greater question. There's one fitting response to this breathtaking truth. We partner with God in fulfilling this vision. We do our part as co-laborers as we link hands with one another in making this vision a reality. And we do so by becoming world-class Christians. Now, I didn't coin the term. Authors like Rick Warren in his book, Purpose Driven Life, and another expert in Christian missions, Paul Barthwick, used this term, world-class Christians. It'll take world-class Christians to partner with God in accomplishing His global mission. And what do we mean by that? Now, we use the word world-class as part of our day-to-day vocabulary. We have world-class airlines, world-class hotels, world-class cities, world-class athletes, world-class cuisines. So what does it mean to be a world-class Christian? It means we need to be Christians who have a heart for the whole world. And we serve a God who's not a local deity. He's a global God. He's the God of all nations. He's sovereign and supreme over this entire universe. And we who belong to this God and his team have a role to play in living out our mission in the accomplishment of his vision for the whole world. A world-class Christian does not live for mere personal fulfillment or individual comfort, but they are kingdom-minded. It is living our daily lives in harmony with God's larger purposes for the world. But we realize we can play a role and we have to play a role in the fulfillment of this ultimate mission of the nations coming to the worship of God. And you don't have to even leave our city in order to do that. Let me share this true story with you. An older couple from our church met an international student in a store here in Calgary where he was working part-time. And this young man was from a different faith. And they have a great conversation. And they exchange their phone numbers. And during Christmas time, the couple found out that this young man had nowhere to go for Christmas. No family here in Calgary. He was very lonely and no, nowhere to go for Christmas. So they decided to have this young man over to their home for a Christmas dinner. And they kept the relationship going. And one day they invited this young man to come to church and attend one of our worship services. And that day I met this young man. They introduced him to me right outside of these doors of the worship center. And I had a great conversation with him that day. And we exchanged phone numbers. And soon he was in our home for dinner. And I had invited some other young, young adults from our church so that he can make some more friends. And around our dinner table, we had a phenomenal conversation as he had all kinds of questions about the Christian faith. And each one of those young adults from our church 
took turns to share their testimonies of how they came to faith in Jesus Christ, and that had a profound influence on this young man. And before he left, they all exchanged phone numbers so they can keep the relationship going. Now, God is up to something here. And I'm just using this story to illustrate to you practically what our role would look like in God's global mission right here in our city. Each one of us have a responsibility and have an incredible role to play in bringing this vision into a reality. Let me give you some more practical tips on how you can be a world-class Christian. Let's start with something that's easy. Just go once and eat at an ethnic restaurant. With all the ethnic restaurants in our city, that is the, the easiest step. Every single one of us can do that, right? And guess what? It may be the closest experience of heaven. Some of you will have this side of eternity. But more importantly, who knows who you will meet when you're there? Right here in our city, you can have a little exposure into a, a different country or a, a different culture when you walk into any ethnic restaurant. You know, our spiritual antennas should always be up. So we are in tune with God, what He is doing, His purposes. So when you walk into a setting like this, listen to who God brings your way, what conversations he wants you to have because they can have powerful kingdom impact that will have ripple effect globally. And secondly, pray for the country mentioned in the label tag on your clothes. I don't know if you realize this or not, but I did this small exercise of going through my wardrobe and found out where the shirts that I've been wearing were manufactured. And these are the countries that I discovered. Bangladesh, India, Indonesia, China, Malaysia, Cambodia, Sri Lanka, Egypt, Mauritius, Bulgaria, Vietnam, Madagascar, Honduras. These are the Shirts manufactured in these countries that I've been wearing in the last many months. I'll challenge you to do the same exercise. Go over your wardrobe and just look for that tiny place where it says made in. And you will be surprised to see all the countries that you will discover. And in this process, I discovered something even more fascinating. About 60% of the shirts that I wear are made in Bangladesh. And I live here in Calgary but I seem to have a constant a connection with Bangladesh, this country where uh, for some reason God is orchestrating something, right? It, it's all for his global purposes. Where our neighbors two doors from us are from Bangladesh and we share a great relationship with them and we do our very best to be good Christian witnesses to this family. And not long ago, I did a funeral for a, a missionary who served for many years in Bangladesh. And, and through the power of technology, the gospel message that I 
shared in that funeral, the, the family had specifically requested, I share a strong gospel message. And that was being streamed. And many folks that they knew back in Bangladesh were watching that sermon. A month ago, I did a church membership interview for somebody who wanted to be members of our church. And guess what? They are originally from Bangladesh. And as I open my eyes and see the many touch points, right, for God's kingdom purposes, I realize these are no accidents. Do you see how God can use someone to bless a region of the world that they have not even traveled to? It's the perks of living in a multicultural city. So it all starts with prayer, being burdened to pray. And a great place to start is to pray for the countries represented in your clothing labels and see what other neat touch points that are there that God orchestrates in your life. A befriend, a person of another culture or country in your street or neighborhood. The neighborhoods in Calgary, Airdrie, Chestermere, and surrounding areas have all become increasingly diverse. If you live in a particular community, that is no accident. God has placed you there for His purposes. And sometimes all you need to do is cross the street to the nation right across your doorstep. Go on a short-term mission trip. Over the years, I've talked to many individuals who have gone on a short-term mission trip, and they've come back with their lives significantly transformed. They've seen things that they will never forget, and all of a sudden, their faith comes alive, and they catch the fire, and they bring it here, and, and they live their Christian life so different from before that have a world map displayed somewhere in your house. Because that is a, a great visual, a daily reminder that the world is much bigger than Canada. Be an encouragement to a missionary or a cross-cultural worker. If you go to our church website, you can see all the global workers that we support as a church in the areas of the world where they are serving. And you can pray for them. You can even write a note of encouragement to them. Hey, invite an international student over to your home for dinner. You know, so many are in our city who are lonely and isolated and away from their families. And the tragedy is many of these international students say they've never even been into a Canadian home. Hey, all of these I'm sharing with you are small ways in which we can be world-class Christians who play a role in the fulfillment of God's global plan for the nations. And to do all of the things that I talked about, you don't even have to relocate to another country. Let me take us back to Jethro's amazing confession of faith. And we will end with this. In Exodus 18, 11, Jethro says, Now I know that the Lord is greater than all other gods. The Lord is greater than all other gods. That is the motivation for missions, the, the greatness of God. 
God's greatness is unsearchable. He's so great that nobody even comes close to him. This great God is the only one who is worthy of our honor, worship, and adoration. He is to be exalted and praised. He alone deserves the worship of the nations. And yet the nations that are right around us are worshiping false gods. They are deifying humans and creation. They are giving their allegiances to false religions and false gods. They are pursuing things that are simply not worth pursuing. But the one true God deserves all of their praise. Jesus alone is worthy for he died for the sins of all the people groups. Every single tribe and tongue. Jesus died. He rose from the dead. He's now the Lord of all nations. recognizing that, recognizing the greatness of Jesus, we play our part as world-class Christians to fulfill this great global vision so that nations can come to realize the surpassing worth and greatness of Jesus Christ. Church, this is where everything is headed. This is the culmination of all things. One day, People from every tribe, every language will stand in the throne room of God, washed in the blood of Jesus Christ, and they will acknowledge his greatness and bow down before his lordship. May we live our lives today and do our part in bringing this great vision into a reality. As we come to an end, I want to ask us to stand. We can't go out and share the greatness of God until we are in awe of His greatness ourselves. That needs to grip your heart. When you realize how awesome He is, what he has done in your life and you can't help but share that message with others around you I want to give us a moment to prepare our hearts and we're going to sing of God's greatness in this place we saw the vision in Revelation of people various tribes and languages and cultures worshipping together acknowledging God's greatness we can do that in this place Right? This is a, a mini version of what we're going to see in heaven one day. And we're going to do that by singing a song that has been translated in so many languages. So if you know this song in your language, you can sing in, in the language that you speak other than English. And we're going to have a couple of languages represented here as well. And all of this is just to remind us of God's heart, His missionary heart the nations, that he's got a plan, that he's orchestrating everything towards this grand culmination of the nations gathering before the throne room of God in worship.